A God relationship was basically something that has power, right? Something that has power to impact your life. Something that is more powerful than you can impact yourself, right? Um, the second thing that God was that God was there to provide the things that you needed for life. Uh, so crops, livestock, uh, fertility, protection. A God would just provide safety and security and a future for you. Uh, and the third thing, though, the God would need a sacrifice. A God wouldn't want to. Um, change your behavior, or in this case, require allegiance, that you need to serve this God, to appease this God, to get the favors that you want from the God. Does that make sense? So there's kind of three aspects to a God in the ancient. Power, um, protection, service, security, a future providence for life, and then the third, it kind of affects your behavior or needs a commitment from you. Um, And so that's why uh, this is such a major commandment for Israel. And it's the one, hear me church, it is the one that they struggled with time and time again. They struggled to believe and trust that God would provide for them even in the face of drought, of, uh, of fear, of enemy armies. And at times they'd be tempted. And I think we're going to connect to this. At times they'd be tempted. Ah, maybe I need to do something extra to hedge my bets. Maybe my crops didn't do so good last year and I didn't worship Baal, but maybe this year I'll worship Baal a little bit. Uh, I'll put. And notice that this, this commandment wasn't that, hey, I need to be your chief God. The commandment is literally, don't bring your gods before me. What it means to say is that as my people, and these 10 commandments are, what does it look like to be God's people? My people do not bring other gods in front of my face. That's what the literal Hebrew says. Don't bring them in my face. Basically, God is saying, I don't want to be just your chief God. Maybe you can think of this terms of religion. I have, to, I have to be, if you're going to serve me and be my people, I have to be your only God. And that would have been a countercultural, radical, crazy claim in Israel's day. Because it was just taken for granted that everybody served multiple gods. Or at least, if you needed to, you'd go run to the other gods when you needed to. And for God to claim that, no, I can't even be just your first god in a long list. I, I'm not just, I don't want to just be your most powerful god. I have to be your only god if you are going to be my people. You might be saying, hey, pastor, it's, a, it's 1120 I don't believe in any other gods, so why don't we just get out of here? We're good. Uh, I know there's no other gods. I know there's only one God. That's easy. Really? I know that's maybe a temptation to think like, uh, you know, I don't believe in any other gods, so what do we need this for? This is the one commandment that Israel struggled with the most. This is the one commandment that sent Israel into exile, and you really think, does it not apply to us today? Now, I'm going to say that this is going to take a little creative thought process on our minds, um, that th- we live in such a drastic, differently si- different situation um, than Israel, that it's not going to be a one-to-one transfer. But here's what I'm going to want us to think about. There are things, and I'm going to call them the powers that be, there are things in this life, in our life, in our lives that will ask us to trust them, that will ask us 
uh, to tell us that they can provide for us if we change our behavior and have allegiance to them, that they will provide for us. There are things that we are tempted to trust in over God. And that's the real issue here, that we would trust anything apart from the God who is to provide for us. This is the primary commandment for what it means to be the people of God. Um, so what does this protect us from? And that's part of what we're looking at the commandments. You know, and we're about to read next week that God is a jealous God. Uh, and I think we should take that seriously. Uh, what does that mean? Some people are like, I don't want a jealous God. I don't want a jealous boyfriend, so I don't want a jealous God, right? What does that mean? Um, it means that God desires us, that we have that relationship one-on-one -on -one with him, um, that we have with no other, that he is to be the God to provide because he created us to worship in him and be in a relationship with him. I, I believe that. And the reason that this is a good thing for us, that we need this commandment to protect us, have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. I, I'm here to tell you, you are what you worship or you will become what you worship. And in your life, even if you don't believe in any God whatsoever, I'm here to tell you, you will worship, you will put your trust, you will put your hope in something. And that something will dictate how you behave, what you strive after, what you long after, and what your morals are. Where you put your trust and your hope and your allegiance matters. You are what you worship. And so that's where this protects us. Because we're, we're going to talk about what, I'm going to just mention three major areas that I see that are kind of the powers that be that tempt us to trust things other than God. Um, and, uh, but part of it is this protects us from falling into, we're going to talk about how it protects us to worshiping other things that can really ultimately harm us, harm our neighbor, and harm the world. So that's where God's providential protection in this first commandment. We think, oh, God's just being selfish. No, it really is for your benefit. It is really for your salvation that you not worship or trust anything else, but the God who has given you life and who's provided for you. Amen? Amen. All right, um, so what are the gods today? Uh, we, we have our formula. It's kind of formula I want to use. Formula is something powerful than us, right? It has power. Um, we can't just do it by ourselves. It the second thing is it provides security, uh, hope for us, um, a future. Uh, people rely on it. Um, and then it affects our behavior, right? We don't sacrifice anything, but, you know, it, maybe it claims allegiance to us or we have to act in a certain way to get those favors. Are we clear on that? I also want to say, before you throw stones at me, um, I don't like preaching on idolatry. It's my least favorite thing to preach about. Hear me. It really is. You know why? Because all the things we're about to talk about are good things. If you don't hear anything else, if, you, if I rile you up, hear me, these are good things that we need. But the problem with good things is we begin to trust them in our lives and in the world today. Um, Walter Wink was a, a theologian in the 20th century. I, I don't believe he's still living now. He did excellent work on uh, the teachings of Jesus and he had this phrase when he talked about the powers, right? Nobody believes in multiple gods anymore, uh, but I think the powers is a good way. Paul talks about the powers and the principalities in the world. Um, here's what his, fra his phrase was to help us think about the things I'm about to talk about. The power, you may, if you want to write this down, if you're a writer, write this down. The powers are good, 
the powers are fallen and the powers must be redeemed. Do you see that threefold thing? And I want to, all three of the things I want to talk about, uh, if I say something that bothers you, hear me, the powers are good, but the powers are fallen. And we cannot put our trust in the powers. They are fallen. And they will be redeemed. They will be redeemed in the end when Christ comes in his fullness, right? Um, and so, but if I do say something that bothers you today, uh, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about it. And that may show, hey, maybe I'm trusting in that too much. Maybe God's speaking to me that I need to put my trust only in God. Um, but we're going to look at what Christ said. So what, what did Jesus say about the first thing I would say? And I think this is, this is first on my list for a reason. Again, good things. Don't, don't run me out of town. Um, Christ said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, I hope you can hear this first commandment. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I actually like the old King James uh, translation of that because it actually names wealth as a God, mammon. The first and foremost, I think one of the most primary, primary things throughout history that people have been uh, tempted to trust in, to put their hope in, is money. And, and in money, just for the time's sake, I want to lump in, in our uh, world and in our country today, consumerism. I think consumerism is extremely on the rise. Um, I'm going to lump in just greed and, and all of success, the pursuit of success and all of that. But I think money throughout history has been the primary, as Christ just says himself, competitor to trusting in God. You know, it's actually in the rich young ruler, if you remember that phrase, the guy's like, hey, what do I need to inherit eternal life? And that Jesus actually uses the Ten Commandments. He says, you know the commandments. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. You should not kill. You should not commit adultery. And he says, yeah, I've done all those. What else do I need to do? what did Jesus tell him? I see your problem. You need to sell everything you have and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Jesus was clear. I know you may say, pastor, how is money a God? It fits our threefold thing. It's powerful. I, I actually read an amazing article one time when I was in uh, seminary. Uh, a guy wrote an article about how we talk about the economy. And if you just change out some of the pronouns, it's exactly how we talk about God's. Do you remember the financial crisis of 2008 and how people talked about it? How that, the power of that impacted the world? And what, do we, what would we say? Oh, the economy's bad, right? And really what we're saying, kind of, the God is mad at us. We've done bad. Those people, they sinned. They did some bad mortgages, and now we're all suffering because they made the economy God angry, and I'm kind of being facetious with this, but when we really start to think about it, it's like, whoa. And then what did the government, I'm not making a political statement at all with this, but what did the government do? They made a sacrifice to the economy God. They said, we have to do these bailouts. Here's billions of dollars. Maybe that'll appease the economy God. I am being a little funny, but I'm also being a little serious. And what does the economy God tell you? You need, and trust me, it's good. I'm saving for my retirement. But let's just think about it. You need to save for your, you need to tithe to me if you want a future when you get old. Do you hear how that is this close to serving mammon 
and putting your trust and your hope in wealth? I mean, throughout, uh, throughout Scripture, not just the New Testament, not just James, not just Jesus, hear me, I'm not saying, we, we all need money, we all need to save. John Wesley said you need to make all you can, save all you can, and then give all you can. We're going to talk about that. But there is a danger for us that I simply want us to be aware of that we cannot put our trust. Even as a church, we can't, I can't look at the budget and say, boy, I don't know how we're going to make it without the money. We don't need a dime to be God's people and to carry on the mission of the kingdom of God. The people of God don't need money. We don't depend on money. Money is not the power. God is the power we trust in for our lives to provide for us. And Christ was clear. You're either going to serve one or you're going to serve the other. And you need to choose who this day you're going to serve. And what does it protect us from? So what happens when you worship money? You've probably, you probably know someone that you can probably say, yeah, they worship money, right? You see what happens when you do it. You can just get greedy. You get selfish. It turns you inward on yourself. Your happiness is based on what your checking account is doing that month, right? I mean, it's a miserable way to live ultimately, but also you hurt others. You are not willing to be generous. You're not willing to give. You're willing to cheat, to lie, to do whatever you can to serve the God of wealth. Am I stepping on toes yet? Right? Um, again, the powers are good. The powers are fallen. And the powers must be redeemed. And money and wealth is probably one of the most powerful things in the world today. So how do we combat this? So, Pastor Andrew, I, I need to save for retirement. I think, you, you know, we should seek independence. You need to work. You need to provide for yourself. I believe in all of those things. But how do we combat it? How do we make sure that we're not worshiping money, even though we need to use it, right? I, I think Scripture is clear. You, you need to make sure you're being generous. I really think... I really think what we do here in the church, I better speed this up. I have two more to go. Um, I think the bare minimum is tithing. I, I really, I, I know money has been weird. Pastors sometimes uh, have done inappropriate things with money. Uh, I'm aware of all that. But I think our tithes are our first. I, I think that's the minimum to say, I don't worship money. I worship God. God has provided everything I have, and I'm giving back to God through worship. Uh, the tithe makes sure we are resisting the temptation to hoard. It is resisting the temptation to say, I don't know what I'm going to do without this 10%. I don't know how I'm going to live. Then you need to step out on faith, right? It, I'm not saying you better have 10% in the offering plate of this church. Uh, you know, if you want to give it to another church, just to, you know, spite that young pastor, that's fine. I'm worried about your spiritual health. I'm not worried about the bottom line of this church. Hear me. Um... I'm, I'm really not. You tithe for another church for all I care. I mean, I think if you're coming here and you're listening to me preach every week and different things, I think I'd hope you'd support this church. Yeah, I'm not trying to be. But I'm not trying to, this is not a, we were not at board meeting last week saying, boy, where are we going to get this money? Hey, pastors, give them a hard time. That's not it. I am worried about your spiritual health and serving God and God alone. So the way we tithe, the way we give refutes the God of mammon and says, that's not where I'm putting my trust. Yeah, I got to use it. Yeah, I, I need a, a reliable car. Yeah, I need a, a, a good living house. I need to save. Hear me, folks. But in my giving, in my generosity, 
And it's not just to the church, to the poor, to the needy. We need to be generous. That's how we say we don't worship the God of money. Um, all right. So number one, it's, it's going to go downhill. All right. <laughs> number two, what it, I'm, I'm basing these off what Christ said. So take it up with Scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Really, family? Really, pastor, family? That, is that a God in our day-to-day lives? Hear me. Family is good. It's a blessing. I love my family. But let's just think about it. Is family powerful in our lives? I've talked about, I think when I, as a pastor, the thing I talk about with people really most when they come to problems with me, it's problems with the family, right? A family is a powerful force in our lives to dictate what we do, how we act, how we see ourselves, whether we're a success or a failure. It's based on our family a lot of times. And if you turn on the TV and watch any sitcom or any show, and I'm defining family loose, it could be a group of close friends or whatever, but the almost cultural message is you, and your family is first in your life. Your family is only the reason you live. Family is what it's all about, right? And here we're talking about priorities. And your family affects your behavior. We'll behave a certain way to appease our family sometimes. We'll behave a certain way to protect our family at all costs sometimes. And some families need allegiance. Why was Christ saying we need to hate our father and our mother and our brothers and sisters if we're even going to be his disciple? Christ realizes that the family is a competitor to our faithfulness to the kingdom of God. Um, Christ realizes, and then we see it time and time, there's a, some people saying, hey, Christ, I want to follow you, but first, I, I, I got to go marry somebody. Uh, first, I got to go bury my father. The family can get in the way. Our commitments in this world can get in the way to the kingdom of God and serving God, whatever the cost. All right. You say, ah, pastor, you're losing me a little bit. Jesus said it. Um, what does it look like when we worship the family? I think the primary danger um, of worshiping the family really just says, you know what? My spirituality, my service of Christ is kind of on the back burner. My forefront is just what's better for my family, right? I think this is why we struggle to get young families in the church sometimes because they'd rather take a day or even just a morning, just two hours out of their day to spend with their family. And I, great, I love that you want to spend time with your family, but do not put it at the expense of your spiritual health and your relationship with God. That's how it can be a competitor to God. I'm not trying to down on family. You need to love and serve your family. Your family is a blessing from God, but the blessings turn idolatrous when they take front and center in our lives. When we put our trust and hope that, man, if I can just have a good family, everything will work out. If we, we believe that that's only what we're here for is our family. And I think the danger when we uh, kind of focus and put family number one in our lives is uh, to say that I'm actually, you know, you hear people saying, I'd do anything for my family. I hope you wouldn't do anything for your family. 
because there are laws and commandments from God himself that you better not transgress for your family. But at times, people say, and they, I was watching a sitcom, I think it's called like uh, Bad Girls or something, and uh, they're robbing grocery stores to provide for their family, and it's almost like, oh, that's cute. But how many people have been caught, and they're like, oh, I was doing it for my family. Really what they're saying, I was doing it in serving that God of family. I was willing to do anything out of service for my family. So how do we combat this? Um, don't be mean. <laughs> don't, don't run out in your family. I was, uh, Rebecca and I were dating. She was a little skittish about me. Obviously, you can tell why, right? She, I had to convince her pretty hard to marry me. And, um, and she, she was not, you know, we were, eh, she's older than me, different things. One of the things that we really talked about uh, was not, we weren't, and my, I wanted an easy marriage. Like I, did, I wanted to make sure we got along. I wanted to make sure that we were compatible, you know. But really, the chief reason, and I hope this is the chief reason, but what we really talked about is the reason that is, is because if we were in a difficult marriage, if we struggled to get along, that would take a lot of energy away from the kingdom of God. And that our marriage, our family, was first and foremost to be a blessing to other people, a blessing and furtherment of the kingdom of God. That if we're single people and we're only thinking like, oh, I just want to get married, and this is the message cultural gods tell us, that you're not complete till you get married. That's false. What did Paul say? You are perfectly good and whole as a single person. That you can have everything you need in a relationship with God. That's another thing that they would try to tell you. You are. You can be. In fact, Paul says it's better for the kingdom of God because you can focus solely on the kingdom of God. Here's all I'm saying. Even in our family structures, even in our relationships, our first and foremost thought has to be what's good for the kingdom of God? How does this relationship benefit the kingdom of God? And that's, that's when Rebecca and I were talking, we really thought, you know, I, we were being careful because it's like, well, yeah, we'd like to have a nice marriage, but ultimately, I don't want to take about, I feel called, we are all called to be ministers the gospel. And that if we get into relationships that take front and center or take away from that, uh, that's not good. So all I'm asking you to do, um, you, God calls you to love and serve your family, you know, but the kingdom is our first priority. We should have no other gods before me. You cannot have a split allegiance and be God's people. And that's what Christ was talking about. All right, third and finally, I've got to speed up so I may not spend as long on this third one. Uh, but uh, Christ says in, uh, I didn't actually write the, the uh, Christ said in almost all the Gospels, you know it well, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God. Um, this is one that uh, I, I am apprehensive to talk about, and I think since I'm apprehensive to talk about it, I think it shows our, its power in our nation and in our people. Uh, but hear me, remind us, the powers are good. We need, I'm about to talk about the way that our nations, any nation that we live in, not just America, any nation, any country can take the place of a God. But hear me, the powers are good. We need good government. We need, just like we need family, just like we need money, we need good government. We need uh, justice to be carried out, and that is a blessing from God that even Romans chapter 13, that's what Paul's saying, that's a blessing. God uses government uh, to carry out justice, and we need peace. We need good leaders. Uh, so hear me, I'm, I'm not saying any of that, just like we've talked about money and family. 
But also hear me, some of us need to hear the powers are fallen. That if there's, there's something in our world today that most kind of closely resembles the power of a God, it is not just the United States of America, but it is any country. And I would be preaching this in any country I lived in, whether it be China, whether it be Russia, whether it be Italy or Colombia. We have given nations and nation states in our world the power. Have you ever seen the videotape of the atomic bomb being dropped on Japan? That's power. Do you realize that for the first time in history, in the last 60 years, that humanity, within our own power, we have the ability to end the world? With our nuclear arsenal, if every country just pressed the button, it would be the end of the world. It would be the end of humanity. That is the first time in human history we've even thought of that capability, and now we have it. I think Israelites, if they came back, they would say, that is the power of a God if I've ever seen one, right? And we've placed that power in with governments. I think uh, one of the main ways that people all around the world are tempted to split their allegiances from the kingdom of God as Christians is that we have to split our allegiance to the nation state that we are a part of. You may say, but pastor, we're in the best nation state in the world. This is my favorite nation state, and we put on all of our money that we trust in God. We don't trust in the nation state power. Let me just remind us that Israel, God's people, back in the day, right? Israel was not even to have a king. Why? Because that king would be a competitor to God that they would trust that king rather than God. That's the people of Israel. That's God's chosen people. And they weren't even to have a king, but they demanded one, and God gave in to them. Also realize that the people of God, that king that God instilled finally, was not to have standing armies. He was not to, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says, don't amass a bunch of horses. Why? Because the people of God would be tempted to trust in those horses and those armies rather than the power of God. Hear me. So I'm just saying this is a problem throughout history for all the peoples and the peoples of God that when we have power, when we have military strength, when we have the, the superpower of the day, we are tempted to trust in that. Maybe not more than God, but we sure maybe bring our allegiances with that into the kingdom. And God says, you are to have no other gods before me. And so if that's true for Israel, it can be true for us. Believe me, this is where I want to live. I don't want to live any other country. I am thankful for the laws and the justice that we have in this country. We should be thankful. But it's actually what I'd say, it's like the money thing. The more money you have, the more careful you need to be. The better off you are, the, the closer the hold on your heart can be. And the more tempted we are, Ah, to be thankful, boy, that we do have the biggest military in the world and that we don't have to worry about anything. And I'm thankful for those who serve that are here today. My brother's lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. I'm thankful for his service. But do you hear that? When we are so protected, when we are so powerful, it is easy. And I think that's what's happening in America. We don't need to depend on God. We don't need to trust God. So we're a-okay. When I got a big balance in the bank or when I got plenty of warheads in the shed, I don't need to worry. That is the danger of any nation state that we see. And it is a danger for the church today. And I would say even more so, as you look at the news, I mean, we, we can't even talk about it without our blood boiling, right? Does that not show the power 
of government and politics and our world today? And what happens when we worship it? I think right now you are seeing the effects in our country of what happens when politics and government take the place of God. That when people hate one another because they can't agree on political issues. And can I just say, there are multiple ways to run a government and just because someone disagrees about what a budget should look like or different things like that doesn't make them evil, right? There's different ways of looking at it. There's been different styles of government. But the fact that we just get so turned red and hate one another, that shows where our commitments lie. Hear me, friends. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You shall trust in no power. That king better not amass horses because you'll put your trust in him. Um, so I think we're seeing the effects of what happens. What happens for Christians when we let the allegiance of the state take over is that we start seeing the world by boundaries. We start saying, oh, those are those non-Americans. Get them out of here. We start seeing the hate and the division and that we're willing to hurt others or oppress others or take from others just to benefit ourselves. It's much like family, the dangers of family. But there is the higher law of God in our lives. We have our citizenship as Christians first and foremost somewhere else, and it's not first and foremost in America. It is the kingdom of God as a Christian. And we, the boundaries, are all over the world. We have brothers and sisters. You have fellow citizens in almost probably every country of this world that better be closer than Americans because they are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, and so it's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous for us. So here, how do we resist it? I'm not saying that ignore it. I'm not saying uh, don't partake or anything like that. Um, what I'm saying is be on your guard, right? Uh, how do we resist it? I think, um, I think one of the primary ways we resist making sure we don't worship the state is really to take a part in a church like this. To really take part in a church that says everyone is welcome. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're from, what race you are, what nationality you are. Um, and our main focus is not just uh, America, our focus is the kingdom of God, and we send our money, we send our prayers, we send our energies to the global kingdom of God, right? Uh, that we see our commitments, uh, we see our laws and our beliefs only through the commands of God and the demands of the gospel upon our lives. Um, and so when the laws of this country align with that, great. And when they don't, too bad, I know where I'm going. And as the church... Hear me now, that's individually, but as the church, we can never get aligned with any party, any candidate, any system of government. The church has done that historically. You know, America's only been around for 200 some odd years. The church has been around for 2,000 years, and we've seen plenty of bad cases of when the church got cozied up with a ruler, whether it be a king, whether it be a certain government, or, and bad things always happen. Why? Because the church loses its witness. Our place in this country is to speak truth and God's message to everyone and anyone, to both parties, to every candidate. We need to represent God's voice in the world. And so that means that we can't align with any one system or group of people. Do you hear me? As we lose our witness, our voice for God, as the people of God are those unique people that don't really belong anywhere except in the kingdom of God. 
That's where I want to belong. That's what it means to follow Christ. I didn't, I don't, for time's sake, I didn't talk too much about Jesus, but that's what Jesus is saying, uh, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He basically is saying, hey, pay your taxes. Uh, you know, Caesar's, uh, Caesar was the superpower. He was the leader uh, uh, of the world, basically. He was the most powerful thing. He says, Caesar is a sideshow compared to what God is doing, right? Give unto God's what is God's. Everything you have, everything you are is God's. And that's where your allegiance is. Um, so remember, the powers are good, but the powers are fallen. And some of us will say, amen, the powers are fallen. We're ready for the kingdom of God, amen. Um, I'm ready for it to come. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God's people, to have a relationship with this God, to be the disciple of Jesus Christ means that we can have no other commitments, no other allegiance, no double-mindedness about us. We have one singular vision, one mission, one love, and that is God himself with everything that we have. And I think we've seen a decline in church because people really can't follow this one commandment. I think people really don't believe this anymore because I see people time and time again willing to put their careers, to put money, to put family, and to put their politics before their commitment to church. I've seen it time and time again, and people simply say, why go to church? God's not powerful. What can God do in my life? Look at all these other things that impact my life. And that's where their time is spent. Where you spend your time, your energy, your passion, that is your God. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord and the Lord alone. God has freed me. He has freed me from the pain and the suffering of sin, and he has given me new life. But in response to that, I have to have my allegiance only to him. In fact, I have to give even my life itself over to him. When that happens, we are able to pray that prayer that we pray every week. For yours, O God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, would you speak to us? Oh, Lord, sometimes I'll admit, I wonder if the demands are heavy I wonder if I'm scared or if I'm not able to, but I know that I can't do it alone, that I need the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of Jesus Christ to come into my life, to free me from the shackles of this world and to free me to serve you. So in these moments, would you speak to our hearts? Would you send the Spirit to guide us and to show us what this means in our lives? In Christ's name we pray, amen. In this time of response, uh, as we prepare for communion, as our servers come down, I just simply ask, I, it may not even be one of these three that has a hold on your heart. It may be something else. I can't cover all bases, and you can be thankful for that. But this is a time to examine our lives. Where am I putting my hope? Where am I putting my trust? What is God saying to me? What might be number two on the list that's even claiming some of my allegiances? I think God is faithful to speak to us. And, and hear me now, you can't just be better. You need Jesus to do a transformation in your heart before you can follow God. 
that if it was just the commandments that we wouldn't be talking about Jesus. But what Israel found time and time again, the reason they couldn't follow this commandment is they needed a transformation. That's what we believe as Nazarenes, that God can transform us to give us a new life and to empower us to follow God, to trust God, and to live to God. So if you've never made that decision to give your life over to Christ, to allow that transformation to take place, now is the perfect time. You don't have to be a member of this church to partake in communion. All that we ask is you say yes to Christ, that you want to serve him alone, that you want to be protected by his commandments. And you give your life over to him. And then come and pray at an altar. Uh, pray about anything you want, uh, no matter who you are at an altar. But then come and receive the grace of God through the elements of communion. We believe that this reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus in our lives. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat whenever you do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. A sacrifice this immense demands full and complete allegiance. When you're ready to proclaim that in your own life, come down and receive the grace of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought freedom into our lives. We thank you that you have redeemed us by your son. You have given us your grace and your forgiveness and new life. And I thank you that you have placed boundaries in our lives to show us where the danger areas are. And I thank you that you protect us, that you are jealous for us because you love us and that you want us to serve only you and not get caught up in anything else. I do thank you for the ways you've provided for us, and we know that you are the source of all good blessings and providence in our lives. And we thank you for the blessings of the financial needs of this church and the people gathered before me. I thank you for our families and the way we love and serve one another and our families. And I thank you for the freedoms that we are afforded in this nation. And I thank you for those who have laid down their lives for those freedoms. And we remember their families that they've made sacrifices. But Lord, I, I come to you and ask that we just wouldn't put our trust in anything but you. That even the good things and the blessings of our life wouldn't become idols. That we would always keep you, your son, and the Holy Spirit, and your kingdom first and foremost in our lives, in our only allegiance. Our only way we live life is to be your holy people here on earth. And so may you speak to us and show us what that looks like, both individually and as a church. May our citizenship, may our love solely rest in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Lord, I thank you for those gathered here today. I pray that you would bless them, watch over them, guide their steps, lead them further into your kingdom, Lord. I lift up those who can't be here or are struggling today, either with physical illness, uh, with uh, family difficulties, Lord, going on in their lives. We pray that your strength and your grace would be in all of these things. We pray for those who are recovering from surgery, uh, who have financial needs, who are making big decisions coming up. And may your spirit guide us through all of these and protect us, Lord. 
I lift up our church ministries. We pray that you would bless them and, and expound them, and uh, may they uh, further your kingdom, whether it be the preschool, the recovery groups, Lord, whether it be the food pantry. Uh, we pray that you'd bless the car show this weekend and, and help everything go smoothly with that, Lord. And I pray, the Lord, that you would lead us people that need to hear the good news. May we spread the good news. May we live out the gospel in our daily lives. May people see something different in us, and may they come to know you as their Savior and their only Savior in this world and trust you, Lord, and find new life in you. Thank you for allowing us to join with you in ministry. We lift up our, our district leaders, Lord. We lift up our Cuban brothers and sisters that are mourning today in the loss of the, the pastors and their wives we pray for the children that have lost both of their parents. Lord, may you protect them. May you nurture them. May you provide for them. We know you are able. We know you are able to make a path went out of the darkness and out of the tragedy, Lord, and we are trusting you for that in that district. As somehow may you further your kingdom there and bless that district, Lord. We lift up those uh, Christians that are laying their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel all around the world. We thank you for our district superintendent, Greg Mason. Bless him for his leadership. We also pray for our local and our state and our national leaders. May you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties, Lord. And may we treat other nations rightly. Lord, uh, may you speak to us this week. May we guard our hearts and our minds. May we be your people, your holy people this week. We love you so much. Help us to pray as you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the forever. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Here's your homework this week. I want you to pray. Think about, God, how can I serve you this week? How can I show my allegiance and my love and my commitment to you, maybe in a small action, maybe in a small way, and I believe God will give you an opportunity to live out your commitment to his kingdom. May you be those weird people that trust in nothing else but the power of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.